Life is hard. Life with chronic, critical, and complex health concerns is even harder. We all know someone who is struggling with health issues or disability. It might even be you. And in the pain and suffering, we wonder if it's possible to move from surviving to thriving. We struggle to hope, struggle to persevere, struggle to trust that God knows what He's doing. But in the struggle, there is real hope, and it's possible to be rooted and ready to weather the storm. Welcome to the Bluestem Project Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bluestem Project Podcast. We are husband and wife team, Brandon and Amy Smith. The Bluestem Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. We do this by helping root you in Christ and by giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about exhaustion, weariness, and looking to God to provide rest. And this came out of some recent events in my life that I'll share uh, with you in just a second. But all of you who are dealing with medical hardship and disability know intimately this right lived experience of exhaustion, physical exhaustion. Uh, often what's harder, honestly, in my opinion, is the emotional exhaustion. You, know, you have a roller coaster of events, of different anxieties and concerns uh, for your loved one. You've probably had to deal with insurance, right? <laughs> that can be a very emotionally exhausted uh, experience. But also often a spiritual exhaustion as well. And I think of this in terms of, you know, because of our sinfulness, at times walking with God in the midst of suffering can be hard. Uh, I had a, a Christian counselor once say it to me like this, hard work, or sorry, heart work is hard work. And so sometimes when we got to deal with the issues in our heart, that's really hard to deal with, and it takes time and it takes energy. Uh, but all that to say, right, we have this predicament, you could say, of weariness, or exhaustion. And like the psalmist often says, oh Lord, where are you? I think we can, we can feel that way. And recently I was really considering this and here's kind of the events that brought this up for me. We uh, needed to take our son Beckett in for a surgery. So about four years ago, he had some hardware put into his hips to help kind of keep his, uh, his femur bones in his hip socket well, he's growing, right? He's only, he's about to be eight. And it is about time to kind of take the, the metal out before the bone grows around it too much. And so we have this surgery uh, on the calendar. And it's, you know, a bit emotionally tiring, and exhausting to consider that and think about what's going to happen and how he, is he going to respond. And I think anyone who's putting a child through surgery is going to feel that to some degree. And then if you have a a child who is a little more fragile, like my son, we're feeling it as well. And this is also, while this is occurring, we're in a, a period of a shortage in our nursing coverage. And so my wife and I are, you know, also physically uh, tired as well as emotionally tired. And the evening before his surgery, uh, we basically get notified that it needs to get called off. He had some kind of unexplained bruising. So they thought he might have an infection. They didn't want to go uh, cut him open when he potentially has an infection. And so this is called off. And uh, in one sense, I was like, okay, well, I don't have to get up at three in the morning to help get him ready for surgery. But what that meant the next morning is that I had really the morning and the day free. And so I decided uh, to spend a little bit of what I would call extended time with the Lord. And so I just opened my Bible, and I happened to be reading through the book of Exodus. 
and I was at Exodus 16. And I want to read and point out something that really I think the Lord impressed upon me and stuck out to me. and was very encouraging to me, and I hope uh, encouraging to you as well. But I need to give you a little bit of background of what was happening leading up to Exodus 16 before I you know, read a few of the verses and give you some of my thoughts of what God is saying in there. So here's kind of the basic background. All right, God's people, Israel, have just come out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they've been brought out via miraculous circumstances. So God puts 10 plagues on Egypt, culminating with the killing of the firstborn of Egypt. And he does this because the Pharaoh uh, is hard-hearted and will not let God's people go, and because God wants to demonstrate his glory and his power over Egypt and to his people by bringing them out. And so the firstborn of Egypt are killed. Israel is spared by their keeping of the Passover by faith. Uh, the Pharaoh says, okay, you can, you can leave, you can get out of here. They start to go out. The Pharaoh changes his mind, and they're up against the Red Sea, and the Pharaoh and his army are pursuing him. And it, I mean, it looks dire, right? But God intervenes, right, parting the Red Sea, bringing Israel through it, and covering it back over in the Egyptian army as they attempt the crossing, right, is wiped out. Well, here's what happens next, okay? This is within about 30 days after this occurring. The people go on into the wilderness, uh, they experience thirst, and they grumble against God, right? And he provides for them. Then they become hungry, and they grumble against God again. And he provides, miraculously, bread from heaven, or manna, and with meat, flocks of quail. And here's what Exodus 16, 4 and 5 says about this. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Now, as I was reading the passage, what really stuck out to me was that God in the midst of providing for their nourishment and their food, miraculously through manna, he also provides for their rest. And I want to be careful to point out that this isn't the main point of the passage, God providing for their rest. But it is there, and it is important. And like often happens when we read the scriptures and we're in a, in a point, per se, of crisis or of need, God will, by his Spirit, illuminate certain truths or doctrines in Scripture to encourage us, to shape us, um, to strengthen our faith, and to comfort us. And so the main point you could say is like, God takes care of his people and graciously provides for their needs. I say graciously because they've just grumbled after he has, you know, within basically a month of seeing some of the greatest miracles you could ever imagine, he provides for them with food. And this subcategory, I guess you could say, of providing for their rest or the, providing for this the rest, you could say, is a subcategory of this gracious provision. Now, I want to just point out and walk you through a few of the things that I noticed as I studied the passage this morning and how it affected me. And first, I would say this. like God provides for them in a specific way and a way that requires them to follow certain parameters by faith. So he, he makes manna with certain properties that dictate how it can be acquired and used, and they have to trust and obey his statements about what it is like and how they are to get it if they're to benefit from it. And I think that that is 
important. God often has set things up in a certain way and has said, okay, if you're going to walk by faith with me, you need to follow the parameters by faith of how I have laid these things out. So here are some of the properties with which God created manna. The, the passage ends up telling us this, that when the dew evaporated in the morning, a flake-like thing appeared on the ground, and that was this manna. And also, as the, as the sun grew hot in the day, it would evaporate. So what this meant is that it had to be collected in the morning. You couldn't just go out midday or evening if you felt like sleeping in to go and get, you know, the manna that you needed. Uh, they were told to collect enough only for that day and no more. And some of them don't end up listening, and they end up keeping extra. And what happens by the next morning is that it, the, the passage or the text says it bred worms and stank. So you could only collect a day's worth, and you had to trust God for the next day, you know, for daily bread, you could say. Another property of manna, right, it provided adequate nourishment and sustenance, but it also had the property of being delicious, right? Like God could have provided something bland or tasteless or even bitter, uh, but manna was said to taste like wafers with honey. I love honey now, and certainly back thousands of years ago, honey was one of the rare, very sweet things you could get to flavor your food with. And so for something to taste like honey is a pretty big deal. Another and I actually kind of already mentioned this, but another property of man is like it required action to go and get it. And I mentioned that, but you had to go get it each morning. Manna stopped when they entered the promised land. So it was a, a temporary, you could say, stopgap of provision by God for his people. And then here's what particularly stuck out to me is that God worked miraculously in manna on the sixth and seventh day of the week. So he ends up telling them on the sixth day, gather twice as much. And that double portion will be for Saturday. And it won't, you know, breed worms and stink. So let me read, this is from Exodus 16, 22 to 30, that talks about this. It says this, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you'll bake and boil what you'll boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So God provides for their sustenance, their life. Uh, he gives them something flavorful. But within that, he gives them the ability to rest and obey his command to rest which he had given them the Sabbath. Now, I think this is pretty important. Whenever you look at a passage of Scripture, it's important to discern and distinguish between what was a truth for them in that time and what is a timeless truth for today. And so 
as I was looking at the passage, I was thinking about that one obvious uh, truth that is not timeless is, is that God is not providing manna for us today. We're not going outside and getting uh, you know, a foraging party with people from the neighborhood and going out and finding manna. So God provided that for a time. And you know, I mentioned that this idea that God provided for their ability to rest was a sub-point of the larger point of the passage, and it's the one that stuck out to me and the one I'm, I'm bringing to you. And I think that it is very evident in Scripture that it is a timeless truth that God provides rest for his people. And so to take what I've just shown you in this passage, I want to add a, f- a few more verses or passages that tell us or indicate to us that God cares for us and provides for our ability to rest. So here's, here's one. So this is Psalm 103, verses 3 and part of 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Okay, bless the Lord, don't forget his benefits. And then in verse 5 it says, Who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So God, or this states that God satisfies us with good, that we are renewed. And I mean, if you were to think of all the possibilities that we could look at for how God uh, satisfies us with good, like God has a lot of tools in that toolbox, right? I started to think about this. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could be here all day. But here's a few of the thoughts I had, right? Good, his word, worship with his people, uh, like gathering the fellowship with his people, his church, his spirit, sermons. Uh, I think of just refreshing and loving relationships that are good things that God gives us that that renews us. In our experience, uh, we have had a number of acts of service by people over the years that have been very strengthening and renewing. Uh, one of the foremost is that we have had an awful lot of meals delivered to us. Uh, I had a friend one time say when uh, our son Beckett was in the hospital, hey, can I just come over and do some yard work for you? <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, sure. I'm not going to turn that down. So he comes over and trims the hedges and and uh, mows the lawn and takes care of things. Uh, we've had an lo- awful lot of grandparent help over time. And I, you know, I think one of the things that God does when he provides people to help you, to strengthen you, is that not only is the very practical um, service that they provide helpful and encouraging, but it also communicates an awful lot of love that they're willing to think about you and invest and take their time to do something for you. And, and knowing that you're loved and experiencing that love is also a very strengthening and renewing things. You know, I was even, I was thinking about this list of good things that God uses to renew. You know, I have a few friends that are really just naturally very funny and I really enjoy being around them and their, their kind of humor and lightheartedness really has ministered to me in some amazing ways over the years. But that's, that's the first point I wanted to, or the first place in scripture I wanted to point out to kind of connect the dots of this timeless truth that God will provide rest and renewal for his people. And that's Psalm 103. Here's perhaps the most famous example of this. And when I start reading it, you're going to most likely recognize you've heard this somewhere, right? This is Psalm 23. Think about what God is saying here. 
And, and notice that like God just does some of this. It's not even necessarily in response. He just does it. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I, it really sticks out to me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, like God knows what we need, and at times, as a shepherd does, right, the context of this is a shepherd with his sheep, um, or, or the reference point to help us understand this, like a shepherd sometimes will just stop the sheep, and, hey, you shouldn't keep going, don't keep grazing, you need to just lie down here in this green pasture, this is what you need, I'll give you what you need, and I'll bring you where you need to be. And God does that for us. Here's another example. This is Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. It says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So here the passage points to an aspect of God's nature. Uh, He's the creator, so he's powerful. And he doesn't faint or grow weary. Like God has never needed a nap. He's all-powerful. And it says in verse 29, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. So God just does that. And we should wait upon him. We can ask him for power and for strength. But I have experienced this quite a number of times actually in my life where I'm kind of at the end of myself and God has just given me the ability to continue on. I actually had a situation a number of years ago where I was absolutely at the point of burnout and I actually just Googled burnout and looked at the list of symptoms and I was like, it was pretty much just like checking boxes all the way down. And I was doing so poorly that my wife said, Hey, we kind of need to have an emergency intervention. And knowing my personality and what has often refreshed me in the past, what we decided was I would just actually take a week, drive up about six hours away to the wilderness and take a canoe and just literally go out in the wilderness by myself, paddle and camp, cry out to God, ask him to renew me. And I remember actually being at such a place, I didn't know if I could actually drive there. I didn't know if I was actually capable. That's how burnt out I was. And I go up there and get myself there, paddle in, set up camp on an island. And I remember one night I slept for about, maybe it was like the first night, I think I slept for 12 hours, got up, made myself breakfast, and then was just exhausted and literally laid down on a granite rock 
and slept for four more hours. Like no, no blanket, no pillow, no nothing like on a granite rock. And I remember thinking it's going to take me months to recover. Like I have no idea how I'm going to recover. And yet my son needs me. My wife needs me. My other son who's not sick needs me. Lord, like if, if I'm out, this puts an incredible amount of pressure on them. Would you renew me? And it was pretty remarkable. By the end of that week, it was really like there had been a divine intervention. I'm not saying I was, you know, totally perfect, but like I really had the ability to go on and God literally did something in my life. And I want to, as I kind of continue to build my case for you that God provides rest, I want to kind of switch it and focus on the reality of our spiritual rest and our spiritual rest in Jesus. And Jesus makes this incredibly powerful and encouraging statement in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what Jesus is talking about here primarily is he is providing rest to our weary souls in our fight against sin and even more specifically in our fight against sin and this inability that we have to meet God's righteous standards that lead us to working and fretting to try and offset our bad with some sort of good. Because we we know intuitively, like, we don't have it all together. We do wrong things. We sin. And we kind of run this rat race to try and try and satisfy our consciences and what we know needs to happen. Let me let me give you an example. This is the, I will always remember this for the rest of my life of what this looked like in this one woman's life. I I met a girl at the first church I went to, or a woman, at the first church I went to after I'd come to know the Lord. And she shared her testimony about being a prostitute and coming to know the Lord. And one of the things she mentioned was that while she was a prostitute, she would come home regularly and spend hours cleaning to every little nook and cranny in her house as perfectly spick and span as she could. And she eventually realized, or maybe it was even after she came to the Lord, she realized she didn't feel the need to do that anymore. But it was her conscience. She knew she was guilty and and there was dirtiness and sin in her life. And so she compensated by spending incredible amounts of time cleaning her house to perfection to yeah to perfection to kind of offset this and we all do that to some degree until we come to Jesus we who are laboring and heavy laden until we come to him for rest so it is not surprising then in light of what i've read to you and what occurred in Exodus 16 with God giving bread from heaven manna that Jesus in John 6 made some astounding statements that connect what he provides as the true bread from heaven to sinners. Let me, let me read a few verses. This is 
John 6, 31 to 36. It says, Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the Savior for sins. He breaks the power of sin in our life, and he pays the penalty for sin. But He's also the satisfier of our souls. And I think that gets maybe missed or overlooked, or maybe it's not quite as intuitive to the average person, this idea that this God-man who came to earth provides a satisfaction for our souls. But that's what he's getting at when he says, I am the true bread. He says, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. And he's saying, and I'm, I'm, I'm who that is. And I give life to the world. A little farther on in the passage, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So God provides an eternal forever rest through Jesus, the living bread that came down from heaven. And we who repent and believe by faith receive this eternal life. So the scriptures clearly show that God provides a rest for his people in every conceivable way. But I do want to point out that there is a contrast between the average person and the person who is brought into God's family by adoption. In other words, let me say this, like everyone is God's creation, okay? But not everybody is his child. And God gives what we call common grace to everybody, right? In Matthew 5, 45, it says, he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So God, being kind and merciful and loving, provides good things in terms of, and we call this common grace, to everybody. People who reject God and do not believe in him have, you know, often have good friendships, food, shelter, get to experience the beauty of creation, spouses, kids, et cetera, et cetera, right? But when you are adopted into his family, the nature of this relationship changes in some powerful ways. And now you are a child of God who is all powerful and all loving. And he works on your behalf as a loving father would to his children. Let me, let me read, this is Galatians 4, 4 to 6. That kind of points this out. It says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It says in John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As I mentioned, there are amazing benefits. When Jesus uh, gave his Sermon on the Mount, and this is in Matthew 6, he makes this point when he's speaking to their worry or their anxiety. And he says, you know, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And he says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. 
and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. And the, the difference is people who don't have a heavenly father, they, they do struggle to acquire and have some of the things that they need. God still gives some common grace, but they really don't have him working on their behalf like a child does. And Jesus is saying, your heavenly father knows what you need. So don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. Just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And I want to, I want to state this as clearly and compassionately as I can, because I would, I would desire anyone who is listening to this to come to know God, to be adopted into his family. And there's a way that this occurs, right? We, we heard Jesus say, come to me. I think that's maybe the, the first thing I want to point out is that you need to come to a realization that you need saving and you need help outside of yourself and that you cannot accomplish this. So when Jesus says, come to me, all, who are, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You come to him for this spiritual rest and you do so by repentance and faith. Right? When Jesus said, you know, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Belief involves both a faith or a trust that Jesus is the Son of God. He really lived a perfect life. He died for sins. He rose again. And that God promises to credit his perfect righteousness to those who repent and believe by faith. Uh, So you, you end up getting, when you become a child of God and adopted into his family, Christ's perfect record. Your sins are imputed to Jesus, and he was punished for those sins to the degree that they deserved, which is pretty hard or, or pretty horrific and pretty, um, or to say it this way, the punishment for sin is worse than you think, and Jesus took more on your behalf than you realize. Sin is worse than we think. God's justice is great, but his love is also incredibly great and that he provides a way out by offering to punish his son on your behalf. And so I'll read again John 1, 12, where it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God and enter an eternal spiritual rest. And to understand, and this is what stuck out to me when I was reading Exodus 16, here I am, an adopted child of God, And I see, you know what? He provided miraculously for his people through manna to be able to rest. And again, it's not the the main point of the entire passage, but it is a true sub-point, and it's carried on throughout the scriptures. And God does things through other people, through circumstances, to care for us and to provide rest and hope in our exhaustion. I really want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Bluestem Project. It's been a pleasure having you. Uh, again, I want to remind you that the Bluestem Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. We do this by helping root you in Christ and by giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. It'd be honored to take this journey with you. Please do hit the subscribe button and tell a friend or family member experiencing health issues and medical disability about the Bluestem Project. Mm-hmm.